kids? Looking for a way to affordably access the best and wildest independent extreme horror currently in existence? Godless Horrors is the place to be. Go to www.godless.com to gain access to thousands of extreme horror and splatterpunk books from the genre's best and brightest independent authors. Godless Horrors offers every title in their catalog in a variety of formats to ensure compatibility with your favorite digital reading device. Strapped for cash? No worries. Godless has a fantastic collection of free titles ready for instant download, with other titles in their collection rarely exceeding $3 to $4. Again, go to www.godless.com or download the app and tell them what the fuck you're looking for. Come join the Godless tribe today. Forever delightfully deviant. Forever Godless. So I drink till the night becomes another day and the day's just another little thing in our way. There's something about the way is a joke and death is the punch I Mother's a mayhem la, 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 la. <gasps> Beep beep kids Welcome to Mothers of Mayhem an extreme horror podcast This is your weird book mom Marion bringing you another very special episode of the show today um, we're going to talk about the evils of drugs. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh my God. We're already <laughs> off to a great start. <laughs> if you are already a fan of the show, you are aware that in addition to our two mom interview episodes, we are also recording special one mom episodes. Christina started her one-on-one intimate chat with mom interview series by hanging out with SC Mendez. But she will soon be bringing you interviews with amazing authors such as Frank Edler, Ruth Ann Jag, writer Kinley, and more. For my project, I am hosting a panel discussion series called Hidden Voices of Horror, featuring some of the brightest talents and personalities in modern independent horror. And we kicked this off last week. We recorded a session uh, regarding the indie horror renaissance. Over the next few months, I'll be bringing you more panels uh, featuring representatives from the LGBTQ plus community, POC community, and mental health communities. Today, we are going to be celebrating the amazing women of horror and discussing our representation and engagement within the horror community. And I am thrilled to be joined in this conversation by five of the best horror babes that I know. Hello, my angels. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here with me today. I would love to take a minute to briefly introduce you all. If you could give a little wave for our YouTube fans when I call you out, that would be fantastic. Okay. So first we have the indomitable 
Lucy Leitner. Lucy is a prolific author of indie horror and the co-host of podcast Horror Business with SC Mendez. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Yay! Next is the remarkable Candace Nola. Candace is a well-respected author within the indie horror community and is also the founder of Uncomfortably Dark Publishing. She curated one of my absolute favorite anthologies from last year, Baker's Dozen. If you haven't grabbed that one yet, you need to fix yourself. Hi, Candace. I love you. Hello. Yes! <laughs> Next up is Gina Aries, right? No. No, damn it! <laughs> Tell the people your name, beautiful. Why did we have Arhus? Arhus. Yeah, it's a lot. Yes, (laughs) but people mess up my last name all the time, so like I feel it. We had this conversation. (laughs) I I met Gina through TikTok, where her insightful and entertaining horror fiction reviews can be found on her account at Madam Munster. You can also find her on Instagram as at Lady Arhus. I did it. I did it. Gina and I have a lot in common in many, many ways. And I have been blessed to connect with her over the past year. Thank you for being here, Dana. Thank you for having me. Regina F. Watts. <laughs> Regina. Regina is one of the wildest authors in indie extreme horror today. My first introduction to Regina's work was her book, Mayhem at the Museum, in which two middle school kids go on a high caliber bullet fueled rampage through a museum with a talking wolf. And I have been pretty obsessed ever since. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you for being here, Regina. This panel would not be complete without you. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be included. I'm so thrilled. (laughs) And last but certainly not least, we have the amazing Stephanie Jensen. Stephanie is the author of the Dissecting House series, uh, serial killer Nina Bassey. Mm-hmm. And the House of the boys. Dead. Oh, hell yeah. She gonna get you. <laughs> Stephanie is a rising star in indie horror and a full-time music journalist. Stephanie, I am so excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. And I'm super stoked to be having this conversation with you guys. I really, once this panel all came together, I was so, so happy with uh, just the group because I think we all have a lot of really interesting insight into this topic of women and our place, our representation and our influence on horror. So just to set a foundation Let's start at the very beginning here. I would love to hear your horror origin stories, quote unquote. What was your first experience with horror fiction? What about it sucked you into the genre? I'm going to kind of tag Lucy here first because she and I have, have had conversations about this in the past. And even though Lucy is an amazing writer of extreme horror, I know that Lucy actually doesn't like splatterpunk and extreme horror (laughs) so tell us more about how you got into this genre start us off friend 
So, um, I mean, just as a kid, like we, my mom would always, we would always throw Halloween parties. We were really into Halloween at my house. Um, I had that book in a dark, dark room. I had the, you know, the, the scary stories to tell in the dark books, things like yes. that. Um, you know, we, we would just have that. We would make like the, I'm the oldest of four. And so when I got a little bit older, um, instead of like, I would have my friends at our Halloween parties running haunted houses, telling fortunes, just scaring all the younger kids. I mean, I just, you know, that just stuff like that. I always loved things like that. And I mean, I don't really write straight up horror usually like um, my like I've written two novels and the second one is not even it's not horror really at all. Um, but my brain just kind of thinks in horror stories. So like if, if that's just that's just how it works. That's just where where I come up with. I never set out to write a horror book like my first book was published 10 years ago and I didn't set out to write horror. I just had a story and it happened to be horror. So that's kind of where it's just that's just how my brain works. <laughs> I appreciate it when your brain works that way because Lush Butcher from the Godless League is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> what about you other ladies? Tell us how this all started for you. Who wants to go next? Um, I guess I will because, well, Lucy said one of my favorites um, authors to this day, well, two technically, uh, Alvin Schwartz, um, oh. Dark Dark Room, yep, and then um, also R.L. Stein. If it wasn't for Goosebumps, I would not be here today. But there is the, I guess, the author who really got me into the more, I don't want to call it extreme, but the more adult horror is Laurel K. Hamilton. And her, both the Anita Blake and the Mary Gentry series kind of told me, hey, violence and sex in books is good. And having very strong female characters is an amazing thing. So yeah, thank you, Laurel King Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how we all find ways to kind of tiptoe into it. Mm -hmm, absolutely. You mentioned uh, Goosebumps, but I'm far older than you, my love. And um, I remember when R.L. Stein first hit with the Fear Street books and even mm -hmm. just his point horror books him and Christopher Pike when I was like nine ten years old and that really kicked it off for me them and Mary Higgins Clark <laughs> <laughs> I freaking Mary loved Higgins Mary Clark. Higgins Clark I, <laughs> I loved her I did too when I was like in elementary school middle school Oh my God, all around the town, still one of my all-time favorite books. I will buy every version of it that I find in used bookstores. Loves music, <laughs> loves to dance. Fucking Mary Higgins Clark. God damn it, I love her. <laughs> Candace, Candace, how did you get into horror? How did this start for you? Oh God, um, my father, actually. Um, he was very large into horror, sci-fi, paranormal, anything along those lines. And in our house back then, it was, we watched what dad watched, you know? Yes. We had one, t one TV in the house. And when dad was home from work, it was what dad wanted. So we grew up on a lot of Star, of, um, on a lot of Star Trek. Heck yeah! Twilight Zone um, and horror movies. The cheesier, the better. 
because he thought they were absolutely hilarious. Oh my god, I love it. Um, things like Pumpkinhead. Yes. The basket case. Um, basket case, which is by the way one of my personal favorites. Oh, I have that one on VHS in the original hard shell. Oh. <laughs> Fantastic oh my movie. God, I fucking love um, it. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually um, pretty much scared of everything when I was a kid. Um, life itself. Yes, <laughs> um, which is wild because like I was terrified of everything just everything um and I also had a lot of really bad dreams up until the point that I was like eight or nine like you know how you see um faces in everything when you turn, yes. turn the lights off, everything becomes a face yes well my room was ha- haunted I was completely completely convinced and I had a dollhouse that was haunted. Couldn't tell me any different because every night that thing turned into a demon and I was like done, just horrified. Um, but then we watched, um, I had to be about nine, maybe 10. We watched John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes! Sold. Never seen anything like like it. Was completely terrified the whole time, hiding behind my father's chair and like peeking out, like what the hell? It completely. And from then on, it was just horror. Everything. I, I began to steal his Stephen King books and Clive Barker, and you know, hiding in my room at night with a flashlight, reading the books. I completely skipped like R.L. Stein and all of that. I didn't even know who that was until like a year ago. Because I skipped right to like adult level, just scare me the best you can. Yes. You know, so. Fuck me up, fam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been breathing it ever since. <laughs> Gina, Regina, what about one of you ladies? Tell us about it. I guess to piggyback on uh, the R.L. Stein train. Yes. So yeah, my, my mom would not let me watch a lot of things on TV when I was young. Like I couldn't watch The Simpsons, but books, she was like, whatever, you can read whatever you want. So I started reading Fear Street first. Yes. And Goosebumps later. I'm an mm-hmm. 80s kid. So I was kind of like right yep. there, you know, at the peak of the R.L. Stein mania Mm -hmm. and I started reading Anne Rice when I was probably about 11 yeah yeah I read the witching hour when I was like 13 and oh my god I was fucking shook yeah (laughs) my mom was so strict on the things that I could watch but I think it was men knock the devil where Lestat takes a woman's pad and like sucks the blood out of her pad. And I'm like 12 and reading that, but I couldn't watch yes. Treehouse of Horror. <laughs> <laughs> God, I loved the library. Yeah, <laughs> I'm from a very small town in Alabama, but we had like a pretty decent library. And the librarians, of course, were like, whatever you want to read, we will order it for you. And so I was like, okay um let's get all this true crime and yes. Stephen yep. King and Anne Rice and they were like yes you can have it and then I started staying with my grandfather when I was a little bit later and he would take me to the blockbuster and I would get like you know all the horror movies and you know started out with Texas Chainsaw Massacre yep. which scared the 
fuck out of me. Mm-hmm. Like I no said, doubt. small town. <laughs> I felt like that was very possible in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like honestly, when it comes to reading a lot of like horror and splatterpunk, I didn't. I sort of took a break for a very long time and didn't really start again until. 2020 when I got on TikTok yeah me too <laughs> and I started reading like Clive Barker and I started reading like you know some of the things on Godless and so yeah <laughs> and now here we are, here we are. <laughs> Regina <laughs> Regina tell us about your your start with the genre well um it's like Horror was just always around me as a child, isn't it around all of us? But it was it was always around me as a child because my parents were into horror. So like my father would play the video game Doom and let me watch as, you know, he gets all these demons and, you know, the, the types of media that I consumed and was interested in just leaning more towards horror. And yeah, when I was six and lost my first tooth, that was the day my mother came home with my first Goosebumps book, and it was awesome. The Werewolf of Fever Swamp, and I was <laughs> instantly in love with it. But then another series I found I really loved was my father read to me the Star Wars Galaxy of Fear books, and they were so good. They were really scary and really intense and had like really surprisingly powerful horror plots that like even if I can't specifically remember what happened, I can still remember the way it made me feel as a child and like they were great. And so this kind of intersection of sci-fi and horror became very interesting to me very early on, I think. And then, uh, like, you know, one Halloween, my father also read me uh, the statement of Randolph Carter when I was like eight. (laughs) It's like, so these things, these things definitely, I think, just build up and impact you. And um, I feel like I didn't, well, I, I, I discovered Bizarro in high school and I got into it lightly as a reader but I didn't really take my writing into horror until I discovered splatterpunk um, when I was, I was working in horrorotica at the time where it was just erotica with horror themes, basically. And so uh, somebody turned me on to the splatter club on Facebook, which is a ah. great community of splatterpunk readers. And so yes. I kind of got involved in the genre that way. So it's been quite a journey. Amazing. Well, thank you, ladies, for letting us know where you're all coming from here. Lucy and I have had some conversations about this uh, recently. I have mentioned these statistics in a few other episodes of the show, but when I review my social media analytics, my follower demographics are always fascinating to me on TikTok. And Gina, I don't know if you've checked your analytics or if any of you other ladies who are on TikTok have checked yours, but 87% of my followers are young women between the ages of 15 to 28. And on Facebook, over 80% of them are women aged 34 to 54. So women are obviously the fan base majority when it comes to horror. Yet there is this perception that women horror fans are like weird or lacking respect for themselves or lacking respect for our gender due to the nature of the content that we like to consume. So 
I'm very interested in hearing your thoughts regarding what it is about horror that you think makes it so appealing to us as women. Well, I think that, I mean, horror and fiction in general for me has been a place where I can safely work out some of the things that I'm thinking. And like Candace said earlier that she was afraid of everything as a child. Like I'm pretty much afraid of everything now. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been that way forever. Like have lots of anxieties. And I mean, there's a lot of things to be frightened of as a woman. I mean, so to me, horror has been and true crime as well has been like a safe place to sort of work out those anxieties and some of those fears that you have just living like day-to-day life as a woman. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. I always, people always ask me, why do you listen to these shows about murder? And why do you watch all these shows? And why do you read these crazy books? I'm like, uh, for, to prepare. we're probably going to get murdered by our spouse (laughs) (laughs) i do want to i do want to piggyback on that because um i kind of had a um and i'll never forget this um it was i think it was maybe five years old at the time and my dad was living in an apartment complex and for whatever reason he went to go get something and left my brother and i alone outside in the dark in the parking lot um that was my dad i love my dad he didn't make the best decisions sometimes but anyway (laughs) um, and my brother because he was only like two years older than me he's he's seven so around there so he just walked away and left me all alone for like five minutes and then my dad comes down and he starts yelling at my brother and he says why did you walk away she could have been kidnapped and it's like I didn't know what kidnapped meant you know like that's like Danny Torrance in The Shining right he didn't know what red rum was but he knew it was a bad scary word and I knew kidnap was a bad scary word and I think that kind of wanted to get like I wanted to understand more about the evils that people commit and why they happen and um and again can kind of piggyback what everybody is saying I have bad anxiety issues and not only that but I was always kind of weird and was socially awkward and have a lot of friends so I kind of I guess again what everybody has been saying just horror was a safe community for me you know, to um, be able to accept the weirdness or my weirdnesses, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, 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 you know, I've, I think of it, especially like the extreme side of things and people may have heard me say this before, but the more extreme, the more surreal, the more wild and out there it is, the less realistic it seems. So the less likely it is to actually happen. And it's almost like a psychological safety net. You can have that experience of fear and you can get that little bit of a dopamine and adrenaline rush without really having to sit there and be like, oh my God, what if this happened to me? Whereas like when you indulge in like true crime and other genres like that, there's a level of realism to that that we know is happening every day. It happens every single day. So extreme horror almost takes some of that threat away and allows you to still enjoy it I still love true crime though actually one of the books I'm uh one of the books I read recently is if you knew I mean if you tell um it oh, is yeah. the of Shelly of Shelly Nautic oh 
mm. <laughs> that was i think greg olson wrote it he did not <laughs> um um uh, he went there one yeah. of the detailed crimes mm. that she and abuse and the murders and the torture that she committed but it was phenomenal absolutely beautifully written and really um you know really emphasized on the survivors her daughters yes i bet that one's been floating around a lot what about you other ladies what do you think what is it about this genre that we feel so drawn to well i mean i mean i feel like the, the female experience is one of body horror horror just like ah! from the get-go <laughs> i mean every 30 days right you know so yes. it's just like all of these things these transformations we go through I think put us really deeply in touch with just a baseline visceral level of horror even before you get into the societal things that we're symbolizing and our you know our constant level of danger and all this stuff you know, I think just all of female existence really factors into horror. And I just keep laughing because I too have bad anxiety. <laughs> you know, it's like, it is, you know, horror fiction really is. Um, it's a place where you can give your anxiety to other people. Yes. Like- <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think there's a lot to be said for catharsis too um and you know from a deeper mental health standpoint I think there's a lot of trauma processing that happens by reading these books there's a more deeply nuanced experience when you read horror it's not all superficial I I think that sometimes we don't want to have to dig deep into our own psyche so we almost uh transfer our own emotional reactions into these books and it makes it far safer and a less uh, uh, less intense experience, unless you get heart murderers wrecking you. <laughs> <laughs> Candace, I'm interested in hearing your perspective. Women as a whole are more drawn to horror because we are the majority of horror. Yes. Without women, there is no horror. We are the victims. We are the damsels in distress. We are the maidens. We are those that need rescued or those that are being victimized or objectified or raped and beaten or abused or dismembered or crimes of passion. It's what? Because the man is losing a woman. It's, you know, a true crime scene. What is it? It's a woman that was raped, a woman that was victimized, a woman that was stalked. It's because we are the women in these pages, in the pages, in the movies, in everything you see, it's, we're being portrayed as the horror or the horrific thing that is taking place. And I think a lot of us having sadly and unfortunately experienced (laughs) more than enough horror in our own lives, Horror can be defined as as loosely or as tightly as you want to in that aspect. But from a very young age, we are objectified. We're seen as sexual objects from the time we we reach, what, 10, 11 years old, younger sometimes. Oh, my God, yes. Depending on who you are. 
we're also always portrayed as helpless. We can't do it. We can't get away. We can't get escape. This awful traumatic thing is going to happen to us regardless of what we say. You know, and I, I think we are drawn to it not only because, like you said, to help process some of what our own experience have have been, but as a way to put it into perspective in our own mind as we're not the only ones. Yes. We aren't the only one that this has happened to. We aren't the only one with this experience. We're not the only one that has been through this insert crime here you know yes and it's not that all men right you know women as the victims at all points but a lot of it in the earlier stages that's what it's been men like to be seen as a protector the rescuer the powerful you know so early on earlier on it's always been about a man either victimizing or and or rescuing the woman in distress the victim Yes. Over time, though, I think with the involvement in the Me Too movement and women becoming more empowered to be seen as something more than what men have routinely portrayed us to be, we get our power now from reading these books. We find our strength and our courage in it to finally maybe one day stand up to that man that we haven't had the strength to stand up to or to face that memory from our past we don't want to face because we read it enough. But at the same time, a lot of these books are amazingly well-researched and they're very well-written and they can, not can, well, they do for some of us replace counseling or yes. a therapist. Yes. It's maybe I can't talk to a stranger about what I've been through, but reading this book about how this woman overcame her assault or overcame her childhood abuse, or how she faced that kid in high school that always picked on her, I think we can purge a certain bit of our own fear and our own emotions through that, and at the same time, pull some of that strength out of that book as well. And I, I personally, I think that's why we're drawn to it as a whole, because it's therapeutic as well as enlightening on both fronts so many levels and yeah. i i agree 100 percent. i think probably the whole group is right on the same page with you and you're yeah. absolutely right for the longest time that was the huge trend that was the primary representation of women in horror especially female characters and you're also right with the insight that over the past few years, there have been significant shifts in the representation of female characters in this genre. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that final girl trope is objectively evolving. And I'm curious to know yeah. what you ladies think about the female characters that have been coming to life over the last few years specifically like since 2018 2019 I feel like we've seen this big change in the kind of characters they are and what characters historically would we consider to be some of the most influential female characters in horror fiction or film and how have they influenced these changes that we're seeing now 
Regina, you look like you had something you had I got awesome. like a whole thing oh this, do it because do I've it. been thinking okay well girl you and I both know how great yellow jackets is oh my god yes a recent horror show about strong women who are just amazing characters who you don't want to know them or anything like that maybe one or two of them but like they're just so well written they're very complicated characters and it's a great show. And uh, I, one uh, movie that I think kind of connects directly into it is Midsommar, which oh. is Ari Aster's movie from, I want to say, 2018, 2019. And it was about uh, a young woman who kind of gets whipped up into this cult. And throughout the movie, um, they like make her this like, you know, Midsummer like princess type thing and the the whole process kind of involves her having to um come into contact with her emotions and giving herself permission to feel these emotions that might not necessarily be in service to people around her and it's of course deeply metaphorical underneath all the pushing old people off of cliffs and putting (laughs) men in bear suits and burning them alive but I mean, that's really what the movie is about. And then it's like, you can compare so that. It. <laughs> it's so good. It's such a good movie. Um, and, but it's beautiful. It's like really beautiful. And the ending is so cathartic. And it's like, oh yeah, girl, get it. And so it's like, but you compare that to, um, let's see, a Rosemary's Baby, you know, which is oh, yeah. uh, our main character is like a metaphor for the expectation society has that women will breed regardless of whether they want to or not. And, you know, The Exorcist, which I, I haven't seen the movie, but I did just finish the book. And um, the it's clearly, you know, it's like the they keep suggesting everything but child sexual abuse is the problem with Reagan. You know, they'll literally go to the lengths of demonic possession before it ever crosses their mind that this handsy drunk ass director who got pushed out her window and he shouldn't even have been in the house, let alone in her room by himself, um, maybe did something to her. Like, so previously the female characters in fiction have been like, you know, like Candace was saying, they've been the, the typified victim, like the victim archetype. And they've been linked to how socialization affects women and what society's expectations are on women. But now they're linked to um, stripping ourselves of that socialization and how to overcome the socialization, how to let your feelings out, how to let the cult set your boyfriend on fire while they're covering you with flowers. You know, it's like that kind of a thing. It's like, just let it go, man, let the socialization go. And so I'm I'm interested to see what the next step will be um, after we get these more like liberating characters. I appreciate the emotional complexity. Uh, Going back to the example of yellow jackets which is a series on showtime if you get a chance to do like one of those like seven day free trials do it just for the chance to watch yellow jackets you guys because it's it's a story of women from their teenage perspective when they go through a horrifying horrifying trauma together 
of a, a plane crash in which half of their soccer team dies and then they have to survive and they go to some extremes to do so. Um, and then also them as adults still dealing with the trauma of what happened as teenagers. And it's as seeing young women displayed in a way where they're not just cheerleaders, sports stars, they are emotionally complex humans, strong humans. And I, I, I feel like we're seeing that more and more and more. And I am living for it. <laughs> I think it's also important to mention one of my very very favorite films of all time, I Spit on Your Grave, um, the character Jennifer, I really think she took off. That film took off women in a very high position in horror. And a lot of people don't know the backstory um, because the director rescued a woman, she was a rape victim, and then took her to the police. And he said her jaw was all fucked up and oh she couldn't God. even talk. And uh, she was trying to talk to the police, like about, you know, the men who raped her and stuff. And the director, whatever, I was reading this in an interview, said that the cops just did not care. But the, this was back in like the 70s, 60s, whatever. So just whatever, the detective just was not caring, taking her seriously. And then finally, the director realized like, wow, this is a really fucked up reality that women have. And then he made that movie about um, a rape victim, but she got revenge. And... Um, but I wish I discovered that movie when I was earlier because, I mean, I'm sure I'm younger than everybody. I'm always the youngest, um, but I grew up in the 90s. So I grew up with like the late 90s, early 2000s horror. And in that, um, in that phase, it was like the skinnily clad girls and it was all oh, yeah. um, like really crappy, terrible films. Like, um, and like the scream, all of that just, um, you know, this like they're always the slash victims, and that's just that was my introduction to horror. And then I dig more and more and more, and realize, oh wait, there are like the Camille Keatons and you know the very powerful like badass women in horror, and then Teeth too, and another excellent feminist horror film. So um, I guess it's important to kind of look at both, like the more objectifying stance of women in horror versus some of the more uh, dominating powerful roles. Yes, absolutely. Lucy, what do you think? What's um, your take on this? Well, I was also, Scream was actually my first horror movie too, but I think what people have forgotten about now is that it's satire, is that Scream is satire of slasher movies. It's not, Scream, Scream doesn't, like, that's the whole point of that movie is to make fun of the tropes of, but they just did it so well that, like, it, it was, it's harder to discern the satire, um, but um, I think it's interesting also that we're in this point, like I love yellow jackets. I think it's fantastic. <gasps> and um, is that is that we kind of skipped over the other thing where I think we have maybe in like the mid 2000s and probably still going right now with the Marvel movies is this weird trope of these like kind of ass kicking women, which of like, you know, the like Kill Bill. I don't know if that's what started it or not. Honestly, I don't see that many movies like compared to most people. Um, but I don't know. I, I kind of like where we are now because that's so completely unrealistic as someone that's, you know, in the fitness industry. Like, it's just not <laughs> like when you see something like this, when you see a woman who weighs 105 pounds and is, you know, on this like 
crazy ass kicking mission to someone who's in the gym and works at a gym sitting there like, no, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, I, I like that we're at a point where we have these like badass women who are actually women who aren't just men in female bodies, which is what I kind of felt like that whole trope was. It was just like, well, now well, let's just, we're going to take like the exact concept of a superhero for a man and make it a woman. And then she's this ass kicker, but it, it never really rang true to me. So I think that the like yellow jackets, I think is a fantastic example of, of just like actual complex female characters now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Cause it's like, they're all psycho, well, half of them I would say are psychopaths, but they pass because they're women. And that's a great point that the show makes. And then another thing that I like is the way the men are written the way women are in traditional versions of these stories so you know you've got like the young man who's being very emotional and very like unpredictable and and you know is just like wishy-washy the way a teenage girl normally would be in this sort of story and then you've got the husband who I've seen referred to as a, a clueless himbo um so it's like you know it, these characters are really like great kind of foils for how women are normally used in fiction and it's just like I love it I love everything about the show you know thinking back um sorry we had an eyeball emergency over here (laughs) um thinking back to my first introduction to like a strong female horror movie character I always go to Laurie Strode in the Halloween movies because she was a teenage girl when I first saw it I think I was around 16 years old and that's about the age that she was and it was the first time I had seen a horror movie where a young woman in my own age bracket quote unquote like fought and and technically won and even here we are how many years later that was what 78 (laughs) that that movie came out and now here we are in 2022 and she's still fighting this motherfucker (laughs) i love her and i know everybody's like halloween halloween michael myers michael myers michael myers i'm like yeah michael myers is great he's freaky scares the fuck out of me but to me halloween is laurie strode because that character is one of the best characters I think ever written in horror film. I love her. I love her. I was thinking about saying Lori Strode at first, but I was like, eh, I want to do Camille Key. I know um, that. I spit on your grave. Oh, well, yeah. I did not know the backstory to that. I had no idea. A lot of people. I just read an interview. I can't remember the director's name, but I read an interview with him. And yeah, he just went on and it's that's a very like traumatic sad terrible story reason why the film was made but I think that film really opened up um people horror movies or horror fans eyes because you really saw the brutality of rape it wasn't a romanticized thing it was fucking brutal there was blood there was on all holes like ugh and for the time period, that was a yeah. level of brutality and violence that you hadn't seen outside of Grindhouse film. And Grindhouse was very exploitative of women, mm-hmm. even starting back to the 1960s, because it all started with like the go-go films. Um, that was the first time that we really saw that level of violence and brutality in something that wasn't 
campy. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I also really, really enjoy a movie from 2007. And I don't know if any of you ladies have seen this movie. It is a French film called Inside. I love that movie. So there is a character uh, in this movie and she's the main antagonist. She does not have a name. She's not given a name. She's just called the woman, La Femme. And uh, our main character is a woman who is in a car accident, loses her husband. She's seven months pregnant at the time. And close to her delivery date on Christmas Eve, her house is invaded by this woman who is dead set on taking her baby. And the struggle that ensues between these two women over the rights to have this child is one of the most intensely brutal and emotionally devastating, bloody, gory, violent things I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) This movie, anytime somebody's like, oh, I need recommendations for the scariest horror film you've ever seen, that's the one I recommend because it is one of the wildest horror films I have ever seen in my life. It is incredible. Incredible. It's unique. It was unique. Yes. And it is just two women. The Mm -hmm. whole thing is built around these two women and their fight to get what it is they want. And the struggle is real because our protagonist, our pregnant protagonist, isn't sure that she can carry on and be a mother to this child after losing her husband. And then she comes up against this other person who is willing to destroy her brutally in order to take that gift from her. And so the whole perspective changes. Oh my God. Every man in this movie dies, just so you know. (laughs) But these women, holy shit. If you get a chance to watch this film, it is unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's something that I appreciate about horror that is told from the female perspective is how motherhood comes into it. You don't really see that a lot in horror that is written by men. They don't talk a lot about parenthood, but that's something. A novel that I read last year that I love so much and I never hear anybody talk about is Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder and it is about a woman a mother who feels like she is turning into a dog and it's this whole there's a lot of body horror it's very gory and it's just about like just being in those moments of motherhood where you feel like that is all that you are and how do you reclaim that part of yourself that like motherhood took away And that's something that I don't see that from a male perspective. I can't think of a single, um, there might be one out there that I just don't know about, but I can't think of a single novel or movie that's about fatherhood and how it just strips you of who you are as a person. I don't know that that is a universal experience for a lot of fathers. And I could be talking out of my ass simply because I've not had that conversation with a lot of men. Um, but it is something I definitely relate to as a woman and a mother of three. I bought Night Bitch because of your recommendation, Gina, and because of the way you responded to it, read it, and immediately sent a copy to my sister. 
Oh, that makes me so happy. Who I also was like, to me, I, it, 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 for both of us, it was very, very impactful because we related to it so deeply. Yes. Like I have two children. I have a six-year-old and I have a three-year-old and I mean, there have definitely been times where like, that is, that is what I am. I am a mother and I am nothing else. And there, there's another novel that I haven't read this one, but I've had people recommend it to me. Uh, Baby Teeth. Yes. Yes. No, I can't remember the, the author, but that's the one with the, like the bitten lollipop on the cover, right? Have any Mm -hmm. of you ladies read Baby Teeth? Not yet. It's yeah. in my TBR list. Thank <laughs> <Same>. you. <laughs> yep. But that one, that one's had a lot of buzz about it. Absolutely. So what influenced Sage? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's who wrote it. I see her books. I work at a library and I see her I books a lot. It's the best job ever. I, <laughs> I used to work at a library, girl. I miss it so much. I'm so jealous. It was. It was the best job I've ever had outside of the house. So let's talk more about the influence that we as women have on horror. When we think about like the birth of horror as a genre, I think one of the first authors that many people actually think of is Mary Shelley right she's like the yeah. mother of horror and across the centuries yes across the centuries women have propelled this genre forward and we are the consumer majority yeah so i read this book it's called uh, monster she wrote the women who pioneered horror and speculative fiction lisa kroger and melanie r anderson wrote this this is a valancourt publication and it's really good and it taught me so much about women in horror and even before Mary Shelley like some of the gothic fiction that was being written in like the 16 and 17 hundreds I mean it was consumed mostly by women but Anne Radcliffe and several others were the writers of this it's just they've sort of been forgotten throughout time just disappointing I really feel like women are creating an enormous shift in horror, especially over the last few years. I mean, look at some of our fellow authors like Rain Havoc and how Mm. prolific she's become and her interpretation and representation of females in this genre is vastly different from what we've seen in the past. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. Lucy, you just did get me out of this shimmering oasis, which was completely from female perspective, but also, yeah, that was good. Oh my god, it's so good! Like the perspective of an influencer, I like that because, well, what you were saying earlier about women and how there's this view of women who like horror and how they're just weird I kind of feel like women cannot do anything right when it comes to what we do or consume I mean women who Mm -hmm. prefer romance they're made fun of for being silly and I thought of Lucy's story because of like an Instagram influencer is there anyone more hated than like a female Instagram influencer (laughs) especially especially if people consider them just famous for being famous Yes, like no one, I mean, the Kardashians are so hated and I'm not going to comment on whether or not that's valid, but I think a lot of the reason why they are hated is just because they're famous. 
and they're yeah. just famous for being famous. And I feel like when I read that story, I thought to myself, um, would anybody really be that sad if this really did happen to an Instagram influencer? I th- people would be fascinated. The mm-hmm. views would be through the roof, right? But, but that's also the horror of our current reality too is the people it's people will break their necks to watch somebody else go through a disaster (laughs) absolutely so oh yeah go ahead go ahead oh i I was just going to make a funny comment like and people think we're the weirdos because we like horror (laughs) right (laughs) i'm not gonna watch them something bad i'm doing instagram influencer i don't care i'm gonna read my books <laughs> absolutely yeah but i think it's just it's human nature yeah all those people that say we're weird because we like it are the same people causing traffic jams on the highway just to get a peek at an accident like exactly. he's breaking their neck to see the blood like yes. what happened who's hurt is anyone, anyone dead anyone dead Yes. And then you, you sit there for an hour and you finally get to the point and there's like nothing there. But traffic has been so slowed because everyone else was trying to see what was going on. Like there's truth in that saying. It's like watching a train. It's like watching a train wreck. You you have no choice. You want to see the blood. You want to see that head come flying out the window. You, I don't care if you read nothing but romance and watch Lifetime your entire life if you come across a car wreck you're slowing down and you're looking like Woo, mm-hmm. more than anybody you're slowing down it's human like nature it's just i hate to admit it i will take it. pictures i will take freaking pictures <laughs> and send them to my husband i'll be like holy shit look at this and he'll be like whoa <laughs> And it's a story to tell too. Like I don't care how chaste you are, how you know tame or t- timid. My um, my parents took a vacation out to. Uh, they wanted to drive from here on the east coast to the west, and they were just gonna. It was like a driving vacation. You know, we stop and tour along the way, like all through the states. And they took my daughter with them, who was about maybe eleven at the time along the way there was an accident that they witnessed very horrific accident and the man was decapitated they saw the head go rolling past their van and my daughter calls me that night like hey mom guess who just very matter of fact just very 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 yeah and there was blood everywhere and the head was just bouncing down the road and, you know, and she was just very matter of fact about it she wasn't even horrified it was just and now it's a story she tells you know it's just, it's human nature we want to see the horror i don't care if you admit it or not but deep down that little librarian in that, that you know she she's reading behind that romance book she's got the gore book like she she's got it or she's at home on amazon prime watching you it's human nature like you want to see that do you want to experience it? Even though you may be afraid of it, you may be disgusted. It's a part of life. It's a part of the last thing we go through. It's human nature to be curious about dying and death and what happens. And do we fear it? Do we accept it? Do we, do we, do we, what happens? What's our reaction? And at the same time, I think it's a challenge 
to ourselves to be like, how would I react? If that were me, or if I saw that, how would I react to it? So when we're driving along and we see that horrific car accident, it's okay, here's my test. Am I gonna freak out? Am I gonna melt down? Am I gonna laugh? Am I gonna, oh my, like, how do I react? You know, and it's the same thing when we read extreme horror, spider punk horror, or when we watch a horror movie, it's, can I face this? Like, or if I had been that person, what would I do? What is my reaction? Or would I have been strong enough to do that action that that person did? Would I have fought back or would I have run? You know, like here I am covered in blood and gore and you know, my best friend got axed in the woods. Can I get up or am I the next victim? Like what choice would I make? Yeah, I, I, think, I just think that's why a lot of us come to the horror movies or the films at some point, whether we really love them, like them, hate them, I think we're all fascinated by what takes place and by that little internal sort of, what would I do? Mm -hmm. You know, like what would you do if somebody broke into your house? Are you gonna meet the challenge head on? Are you gonna hide under your bed? Are you gonna protect yourself or are you gonna run screaming into the night? What if you can't get out of your house? What are your options? Are you gonna lay there? Are you gonna fight? You know, and I think it comes down to the same thing. And most of us, yeah, we are content at home at night behind closed doors, but are we? I mean, you hear about it on the news every day. Home invasions, carjackings, burglaries, assaults. Someone's house is getting broken into right now while we're recording this. What did that person do? Did they fight back or did they did they lay down and die? And why is it going to be on the, on the news that, that night? Why? Because we want to know. We want to know. What happened? Did they die? Did they fight back? Did we catch who did it? What happened? Tell us. Was it bloody? <laughs> it's human nature. And I do want to um, mention something um, because Marianne really was uh, talking about some of our influential um, women writers. And um, I mean, I think we all kind of already talked about why we think it is that women, um, whatever, like love horror, write good horror. It's because we all know some of the more terrifying experiences that are unique to women. But I'm also thinking of, you know, the Mary Shelley era, like the, you know, 17th through 19th century where women in all honesty didn't have a lot of rights so I think also um, from that perspective uh, and the time when or times when women couldn't even publish under their real names they had to publish under a man's name and today looking back you know like little things like that we take for granted we could you know they didn't have Amazon KDP godless back in the whatever, 17th, 18th centuries. So I think also maybe a reason why the Mary Shelley's and um, all the original like Gothic horror writers are so, um, you know, iconic today is because yeah, for that time, you know, not only were those like Frankenstein, not only was that story absolutely terrifying, it was from a woman. So mm -hmm. yeah. And there's so many powerful female authors. I really feel like if movies hadn't been invented, horror would be considered a more female genre than it is um, because it's, um, you know, 
that so many of the big names in horror are big names in horror because of movies. So it's people like Stanley Kubrick or, um, you know, even Steven Spielberg or M. Night Shyamalan. There are all these men who are part of this boys club. And because I think it's like 90% of horror consumers consume horror films, but only 80% read horror fiction. So there's always going to be this small gap where these people are thinking of horror as more male when the reality is, you know, you've got female authors like Shirley Jackson, Ursula K. Le Guin, um, Poppy Z. Bright, you know, all these different uh, authors who over the past century have just been working, you know, Anne Rice, you know, I mean, tons and tons of female authors operate in horror and have on the literary front. And so I think if there was less of a cultural emphasis on movies and more readers, there would probably be also a wider awareness of uh, the fact that horror is such a female-driven genre. Yeah, wasn't it a few years that um, Jason Blum, who is like the producer of Blumhouse, like one of the big horror movie production companies he did a tweet or something that said well you know it's hard to find a female director for horror <laughs> movies they're just not out there That's and of ridiculous. course lots of people sent him tweets that were like oh here you're wrong about that they just haven't been given right. the option of course he came right. back and he apologized and I think he even did hire some female directors after that but it's just like I mean in movies like women haven't been given a lot of a chance to write or direct horror. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. would. If they, I oh, mean, yeah. The most recent mm-hmm. Candy Man was directed by a woman and it was all they so Yeah. Um, so thinking about like the horror dudes, the like the horror movie dudes, <laughs> I was a big collector of band cult rare horror films when I was at a point where I couldn't consistently read and I would come across so many dudes who thought they had seen like the worst of the worst that's out there (laughs) and now getting into extreme horror and reading I'm like if you dudes picked up one of these books like the people the things that our authors especially female authors are writing in these books could never be put on film like (laughs) can you imagine Rain's kill stream on yeah no right like that's an automatic nc-17 that's an x-rated movie like so um i i i just think like yeah guys you're gonna you, you think you've a Serbian films like the worst thing you've ever seen. You should pick up C Commissar's Acrotomophilia Maniac. Like, mm-hmm. uh, dude, like, fucks some poor woman's amputated stump. Like, you've not seen the worst of the worst. Like, you read these books, they're gonna fuck you up. <laughs> and yet, we're these, we're these, you know, we're these women out here some of us like in our 40s and beyond who are like you don't know shit (laughs) i think that's what i love about extreme horror fiction is there are no limits Mm. with film i mean yes movie magic can only do so much but with writing it's just whatever whatever goes absolutely absolutely we can get away with so much and they have no idea they have no idea what's out there so as we 
look at the way horror has been moving, especially for women over the last few years, what differences have you noticed between the female characters that have been coming through recently as opposed, especially those written by women as opposed to female characters that are written by men? Are there any distinct differences that you're seeing in the trends? They're more realistic, absolutely. Because women know we understand each other. Well, I mean, we all have different experiences, but I mean, do men understand what it's like to have a period? No, we know that. And so I think when women write uh, other female characters, it's far, far more realistic. Um, not saying men don't. Actually, I do want to, and I reviewed uh, Christopher Triana's Full Brutal, and he actually did really describe the female, especially the high school female experience, extremely well. So I'm not saying men don't know how to describe women in books, but I definitely see a difference in how women uh, write female characters versus men. Did you guys read My Heart is a Chainsaw, Stephen Graham Jones? He actually, I feel like, wrote a female girl, teenager, very well. I saw myself in that character, Jade, more than I think I have any other teenage character that I've ever seen. She was, like, very strange, and she was obsessed with horror, and she was shaped by trauma. I feel like he did a really good job. But overall, I do agree with what you said, that, like, when a woman writes a female character, she's more fleshed out. She's, you know, oftentimes when a man writes one, she's got to be hot. And I just think about Buffy as a really good example of mm -hmm. a character written from a male perspective. And not that Buffy isn't a great character, but I feel like had she been written from a woman's perspective, there would have been a little more there, if that makes any sense. Yes. yes. <laughs> in her cheerleader outfit i freaking loved that movie <laughs> and now i look back on it and i'm like oh <laughs> yeah men they they do tend to write a lot about there's that joke about like I think I've seen it on TikTok before about like women who are written from a male perspective and it's like she walked in and her boobs were so boobily yeah. it busted boobily down the stairs yeah. <laughs> and she was so boobily and assly yes. <laughs> there was a book I read and I can't remember what it was it might have even been like Jack Ketchum's off season which is a super great book especially like as you know one of the earlier extreme horror authors but I remember even being taken aback by how often we were interrupted in the action by descriptions of the women's physical appearance, yeah. like, like the perkiness of their breasts when the air hits their bare skin and, you know, how they're, you know, the, the arousal that they feel due to their fear. I, I just... <laughs> drives me up the freaking wall i can't handle it i i, I just ugh, ugh. it's funny like going back to mom me loving laurel k hamilton that's how she described all the men in her books oh and I love especially it. the mary gentry series all oh, the men are hot oh they're hot 
<laughs> me and I, I started reading her books way too young so I'm like reading this like I like this I like this with the a lot walk in, <laughs> we walk in and their dicks were like this when the wind hit their dicks they were so <laughs> absolutely well you know we were so used to the opposite of the mm-hmm. women being objectified all the time so when you get something from that different perspective, it was like earth shattering. Absolutely. Right? It's like, I'm allowed to be attracted to men type of thing. Other women are too. You know, I really, really love the female villains. And I think one of the first ones that we had that really took the stage, especially from, you know, the literary perspective was Annie Wilkes. Stephen mm. King, Misery. Mm-hmm. Not mm. only that, but she was a, a female horror fiction fan. And it was her love of this horror author that, that just set off this psychopathy in her. But I, she was one that I feel like we could all relate to. She was just an average woman whose obsession with the genre went a little bit too far. And, uh, yeah, I, I was real neutral and diplomatic about that, wasn't I? <laughs> it just went a little bit too far. I mean, kidnapping and then, like, uh, breaking the ankles of your favorite. Maiming, author. hobbling. Yeah, I'm going to author in April. I might try some of that out on a few people. <laughs> Candace, you're going to have to hold me back. <laughs> I'll just keep you with me and my yeah, girls. That's probably <laughs> best. That's probably best. <laughs> keep on the beach. She was the first female villain that I saw, other than Julia from Hellraiser. I think oh. Julia was pretty much she was a big, a big impact too. I love that character. I just love her so much. Like a part of me, I think that they were attempting to sort of like carry her throughout the franchise to be the bad guy. But like, I mean, the Cenobites are just, they were just too amazing to not like be the center of this. But I love that character because she is just awful. Terrible. For some reason, I like Julia better in the book than in the movie. Like, I just feel like in the book, she's just so much more intense. That then you know her backstory a little bit more. So you understand why she's doing all this stuff for Frank Cotton and why trying to um, revive him, so to speak, with dead bodies. So, but yeah, the movie is just, I mean, and I love the Hellraiser, the entire film franchise, um, or at least most of them. Um, Like the first two are amazing. Um, But yeah, no, the Julie in the book's way better. It's been a long time since I read it. The thing that I remember the most is it just, gosh, she really hated that husband. (laughs) (laughs) She really hated that guy. She was so grossed out by him. And like, I mean, just everything about him. She was like, God, you're just, I mean, it's like she thought he was a wimp and she was just like attracted to that, you know, Frank. He's like this bad boy. And that's what she was into. Whereas the husband, she's like, ugh. I think we all feel like Julia sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, she's a very influential character. Um, 
a great one on Shutter is Revenge. Uh, it's very similar to I Spit on Your Grave. It's about a woman who's assaulted um, on a weekend trip that she takes with her boyfriend, who's a real asshole. Um, <laughs> and she does not, she does not go down lightly. It is fantastic. Oh, I did hear about that one. Actually, oh, 100% recommend. It is marvelous. It's so good. Speaking of men, (laughs) (laughs) kind of a good lead in on this one. When we talk about like online presence um, and our social media engagement, I'd like to hear from you ladies about sexual harassment, because I am 100% certain you have all had to deal with that a lot. How do you handle that kind of abuse? And what is your perspective on why we as uh, horror, as visible personalities within the horror community, why are we such targets for these creepos? What do you think? See, I have the opposite experience. When I released Mm -hmm. Dissecting House, it was like the sexual harassment just magically disappeared. (laughs) I really experienced that too. Like, oh, it's a crazy serial chick cutting off men's dicks. I'm, mm, nope, nope, not that girl, not that, nope. And I'm like, yay, no more sexual harassment for me. Um, But I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily um, I've had more experience in the, cause I also involved in horror films. I have way more experience with harassment in that side of the horror spectrum compared to the literary side. But I'm, I, I think with all these, um, this harassment thing too, it's all girls have had, um, or, and especially in the music industry, like ego, like it's either the egotistical musician or the um, the fan who doesn't get laid, and we just us female metal fans get all the harassment from both ends, and it's it's awful. Um, but I mean, I'm sure we all have different experiences with online sexual harassment as well. Oh yeah, when I started the Regina Watts pen name, I was uh, my preferred horotica genre niche to work in was uh consensual cannibalism because it's a fun horror topic and it's easy to write about and it's just great but the community has zero boundaries as you can probably guess from the subject matter and so I mean I would get messages all the freaking time and I still will always remember that instead of a dick pic one guy sent me a picture of himself with an apple in his mouth And it was like, all right, this is on a whole different level of crazy shit. So (laughs) I definitely, uh, but I noticed that as I moved out of Horotica and into Splatterpunk and even Men's Adventure, which is like borderline erotica sometimes, but with a more fantasy or sci-fi plot, um, I really haven't gotten messages like that since then. Every once in a while, I'll have somebody who doesn't realize that Regina is real will like comment on, or isn't, you know, real. She's like a deep fake photo and somebody will comment on her, you know, profile pic. Oh, you're so beautiful. And it's like, that's a weird way to say that I'm a deep pic, but (laughs) you know, it's just, it's like, it's just, uh, I think it is a little bit of a fact of life, but I found it very curious that 
uh, as I moved into more mainstream horror, all of that kind of faded out. Knock on wood. Yeah, I will say that I haven't had any bad, I haven't had any experiences like that. Like I've never, I've never been, I've never been what I would say sexually harassed on the internet. Oh, that's so nice. I I get comments on my photos that like, I'll get someone say you're beautiful or gorgeous. Half of those are from Ryder Kinley and from Ruth Ann Jay. And they're true. They're (laughs) when I get a comment from like that, like Ryder, like you're so sweet. You're just you're just awesome, you know. And if but if there's a dude that comments that, I don't respond to it. I don't like the comment. I also use my own name, like my real name. I use my social media profile for professional work. Mostly I'm a, I'm a marketing writer. Also, I'm a coach at a CrossFit gym. So like a lot of the people I have on there are people that go to the gym, people that I coach. So I use that one account for everything. So I am selective about people I approve. Like I don't approve people who are mostly, who are fake, um, like fake images who don't have a real profile picture uh-huh. and people who I can look at their public account and I see that they've po- posted 40 memes in one day with no engagement like there's a lot of signs that I have that I'm like and if someone sends me a message that says hi or how are you you today I'm never going to respond I don't care if we have 400 mutual friends so like you know there's just certain things like that that I'll do that um regardless of the people out there and their their intentions I haven't experienced a lot of it like I also think there are some real weirdos in the horror community and I don't want anything to do with them even people that I have on my friends list that I'll see their posts I'll say I never want to interact with this person I hope this person doesn't interact with me (laughs) so I mean you just just leave them alone I don't need I don't need fans or book sales that badly is how I think about it so And it's true, you know, and not all platforms are created equal. I've never had any issues on Facebook and I've never had any issues on TikTok. Instagram. Yep. That's where the creepers are. Which is funny because for the most part, like in my comments section, I don't get harassed very much. But God, I've had to block so many people through direct message on Instagram. And it just boggles my mind. And I do wonder, like, how many of them are even real? Most of them uh, probably. I think also I was talking to a couple men in, like, in the horror scene, like the, you know, male writers. And they're complaining about getting, you know, people just, like, coming onto their, like, onto their comments and making nasty comments and everything. I'm like, well, I don't know who this person is. I looked at it and I was like, my response was, why did you approve this person? (laughs) This person posted 45 memes in one day. About six of them are weird right-wing things. This is a sock puppet account. There's no real photos of it. Stop approving these people. Because every time that that an author or someone in the horror community approves one of these obviously fake accounts because, oh, they might be a fan. They might buy my book it gets pushed to everyone else because you see that you have mutual friends you mutual friends so like no it just it just scams other people like gets other people involved people have really got to have some like some you know semblance of understanding you know safety on the internet because this isn't just like it's not these like the men are getting harassed maybe in a different way because it's all you just can't approve bots Sock puppets, scams, <laughs> trolls, get them out. Stop approving them. I also feel like there's an element of gatekeeping to this. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonia Ska, who is Ghostly Reads on 
TikTok is a very, very influential horror reviewer, and she's been getting more and more into indie extreme as she and I have become better and better friends. And she was telling me last weekend when we had a chance to hang out that she will repeatedly get comments. She thinks that it's like a, a core group of men or possibly even boys who are horror fans who are like who will come in and comment under different accounts like multiple different accounts being like i'm never gonna take uh horror recommendations from some bitch that looks like a barbie um like why would i take horror recommendations from some some woman like just all this gatekeeping stuff but an obvious attack on her gender or her age or her appearance as if we as women literally are not the foundation of the community like the majority consumers of horror and i have the platform that she has but when i did the italian horror reviews i got a lot uh, of that yeah oh my god the giallo dudes holy shit the the to the point that i started like policing and deleting comments like i'm not gonna give you you know the space to act this way right like the fact that you have a vagina means that you can't be hip on 1960s 1970s italian giallo well that was something that like oh just some like country bitch coming on here you know like what do you know about italian horror like well not a lot but i watched this one movie and i liked it (laughs) is that not enough (laughs) and you have a right to speak to it like i've got a massive giallo collection packed away downstairs like just because i'm a female doesn't mean i know any less but i sometimes feel as if sexual harassment can be used weaponized as a way to try and gatekeep us out of the community or to quiet our voices because some people are threatened by it i mean there's just there it's not i don't think that it's as many men as it seems i just think that maybe it's like a loud minority of men who feel this way who feel like women just want to take over you know you hear that a lot like in other areas of life like women just want to take over it's like well, we just kind of want a seat at the table yes you know yes. it's like what most women want and you know Maybe the beautiful thing over. about our indie extreme community that's kind of developed through facebook is that we have a really supportive like friend group that has built <laughs> and it literally is like triple digit friend group yeah but you very rarely see that kind of bullshit within that section of the community. It's outside, like on Instagram and occasionally on TikTok, where you see people who are outside of that community who come in and try to to shut it down, to shut you down. And it pisses me off so bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't really feel like most people worry about it because the proof is really in the pudding you know it's like you can just uh like a lot of times it, you know you might be more attracted to the title of the book or the cover and you might read it without even 
looking at the author name and then you get halfway through and it's like oh this is written by a woman um maybe women can write fiction after all whereas you know on tiktok these trolls are looking at a woman's face which is like you know one of the most triggering things that could possibly happen to them and so i think they just are are you know more prone to act very badly um so i think a little bit there's a little bit of a pass but i have noticed that like I've been really transitioning Regina's platform out of um, erotica and even eventually out of men's adventure fiction and into horror solely. And that's been a very difficult transition. And I even had a couple of horror or one horror author in particular who I thought understood that I was already a horror author. He was like, huh, so you're uh, you're starting to write some horror now, huh? What, what's that about? Are you just, you know, is it just, uh, I was like, oh, because I... I'm a horror author and I have been, I'm just taking the erotica out of the horrorotica and now it's just horror. And it's like, I don't, I feel, yeah. Well, I feel like there's a little bit of a feeling like erotica or erotic elements invalidates horror immediately. And that's just not true. I mean, look at H.R. Geiger's illustrations, you know, I mean, like, so I, I think that there is just a little, there's always like a little bit of a, hmm, you're a horror writer, huh? Prove it. But I think it's ultimately something that's easy to prove. It's just like point to your stack of books that keeps growing and say, read it, you know? <laughs> Regina yeah. also had a, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead, Stephanie. I said, Regina also had a good point with uh, the harassment that we get face value versus like on a book where, I mean, some of us may have our author headshots in our books some are not, but it's not like it's the very first thing you see. Whereas I mentioned most of my harassment has actually been in the metal industry. Um, and it's because like whatever women go to shows where it's largely a lot of men and male musicians and, you know, female musicians too get a ton of harassment, but it's because we're physically there at the concert or physically there playing the music so I think um um yeah I think that really has a lot to do with it and then maybe why some women in horror um may get harassed more than others um the only thing as far as I've gotten is a few of my male colleagues and because like I said I also work in horror films so um like a lot of my uh film colleagues you know whatever like found my book read it whatever they're like wow I had no idea you were that talented and that amazing it's like what it took me writing a fucking book to prove that like what yeah. thanks guys <laughs> oh my god oh great what a nice friend you are so authors when you write who are your villains? Who are your monsters? Are they typically male or female? Where do you, how do you find yourself trending? It's God. It's <laughs> always God. <laughs> Next question. Gender neutral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A gender, non-binary, whatever you want to call it. It's yeah. usually some form of divine horror, man. Oh, I think that's fantastic. I mean, I mean my first Mine book just... be... 
Oh, I, I was going to say um, dissecting house obviously developed as a woman, um, but Howling of the Dead, it kind of is a woman. It's like a female spirit type of thing, um, but there's also a lot of like demons and um, kind of like skinwalkery animals. I took a lot of inspiration from different mythologies and created my, my monsters, my creatures. So it's a combination of different non-human um villains but yeah dissecting house definitely a woman but in the third book uh you'll see it's a man who's the villain and, and mina slash Anne is the victim interesting candace what about you um i was going to say that as of right now mine tend to be uh, um supernatural sort of entities genderless but it would solely just depend on what story was being written at the time like the story i'm working on now is another genderless sort of creature that is the villain but there's two creatures in the book one of them's good one of them's not so good i think it just i i don't really when I get an idea in mind, I don't set out with, my bad guy's gonna be a guy, or it's gonna be a woman, or it's gonna be a distraught, angsty teen. It's, I kind of let it kind of unfold in my head for a while. Sure. Ultimately, the characters sort of tell me who the bad guy is. I'm one of those weirdos that my characters end up talking to me the more I think about it and I kind of write what they tell me to. I know it sounds weird, but if you're one of those, you understand. But it's really um, just as simply as that. Like I put so much time and effort into who they are that they get a voice of their own. And I find myself having sort of like conversations with well, why would I do that? And, you know, Hank will come back with, oh, well, you know, because I want to do this, that, and the other, and you want this to be the ending, but I want it to be this. And I'm like, all right, Hank. Like, Hank Flynn took a whole 180 right in the middle of the book, and I was like, yeah, all right. So I ended up writing, like, Hank's ending rather than my <laughs> But I think it just changed. It'll change based on whatever story needs to be told at, at the time i'm not against using a man a woman a duck like it depends on whatever the story calls for. <laughs> candace please yeah. give me a book with an evil duck the evil I duck really, please do really need this. i can make it happen. <laughs> make it a godless exclusive. i can make it happen <laughs> <gasps> yeah a duck can be scary oh my god <laughs> Not a, a duck can be scary. Even scarier is a goose. Yeah, just showing up, staring in your window. <laughs> Lucy, what about you? Do you feel like you trend in either direction? Yeah, all of my villains are pretty much men in power. That's all of them. I mean, is that what I've what I found for all of it? And I, I think it's less of a gender thing than more of a power thing and corrupt authority type of thing. My stories are usually different. Usually I find something like my first book, I started writing it in like 2008 when I was at work. And it was just an idea that I had based on something that happened at work. 
And then it became a story from there. Other things, usually I start writing by some sort of observation that I have of thinking like something that I've noticed about the world is ridiculous. Like it's, it could, it could lend itself to, if I took it to its ridiculous conclusion, it can lend itself to a horror movie, which is how I came up with Outrage Level 10, which is my latest novel, which I basically came up with, well, what if Twitter mob justice from like 2011, when I came up with that book, replace the whole American judicial system that like heads would work. like so you know so I would take things like like took, that's like where my concepts usually come from is some some little observation and I found in all of them all of my villains are these powerful men who present a very altruistic front and are generally very highly revered until they're not and then you see this present all the time like think of Cuomo in New York someone oh, yeah. like that that isn't, that's pretty much an archetypical Lucy Leitner story villain. It's someone like that. Harvey Weinstein might be another example. Some, someone like that who gets stripped of everything because, and you just, you just know it. So like I could have qual- called the Cuomo thing like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like over a year ago and said like, you know, that guy's going to get taken down. And it's just because it's usually the more people are obsessed with like um, deifying someone. It's almost like the worse that person is going to be. And so that's generally how my characters are. And if there's ever a woman who is like that, then she'll be my villain too. But in the real world, I've never seen, I haven't seen that. It's always, it's always males. So that's just where they, I don't know. I just think that's, it's something I've noticed. I never set out to do it, but I've noticed it in like all of my stories. It's like, oh, here we go again. I've written this, like almost the same villain again. Yeah. But you also work, like working in marketing, just in your industry, it's yeah, I become very cynical. Right. And it's something that you see all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's in your face all day, every day, every week. So how do you not build from that? Like we create yeah. from our own experiences. Yeah. And I, Gina and I are not writers, but I think we can speak from the perspective of what we like to read. Like mm-hmm. I have doing this whole TikTok podcast thing, becoming involved in this community has pushed me beyond my usual boundaries. And now I'm at a point where I read pretty much anything, but what am I most interested in? Revenge. I want revenge. I want bloody, gory, kick-ass revenge. (laughs) But I also like, like ghosts and supernatural stuff. So, But there's like, core reasons why I love revenge Gina what do you like like what do you feel yourself most drawn to when it comes to villains protagonists I kind of find myself drawn to supernatural and fantastical well I've gotten really into V Castro and a lot she doesn't her villains are more like systemic problems like colonialism racism sexism so I kind of like stories that are sort of based in the villain being society (laughs) I've kind of gotten into folk car a lot lately as well and that is like the villain is just like a collective group oh yeah of people like you know Shirley Jackson's uh the lottery the lottery the the group they're the bad guys we have always lived in the castle we have yes. always lived in a castle that it, it, the mob so mentality of that and that poor family the trauma they had already gone through and then the whole community acts against them 
I yes, that's something that I guess you were talking about, you know, like a personal thing. Like for me personally, like I have grown up in the South and I've never lived anywhere else. And I've found I found it difficult to look for a community in the South. Like I just it's hard for me to find a place where I fit in because I don't agree with a lot of the things. <laughs> Not that the South is just all, you know, one type of person. It's a very diverse place. Sure. But I don't fit in with a lot of the religion. I don't fit in with a lot of the things that people like. Culturally, growing up in a small town, I was like one of maybe three goth kids. And (laughs) I just like didn't fit in. And I felt, you know, like a lot of the teachers and the students, like they did not like me. And it was like a group effort in disliking me. And so I think that that is the reason why I am drawn to that type of folk horror that like it's the group that's the bad guy (laughs) writer ladies so beyond what you tend to write what do you find yourself gravitating towards when you want to read what kind of characters what kind of stories I like stories best that's usually what I that's my favorite um like I don't know detective stories, crime stories. I like unreliable narrators, but if I'm generally, but I, I read, it's all over the place. Like I choose things that look interesting. So you I'm at all. Huh? <laughs> Mood reading? Yeah. Like right now I'm reading, like I'm reading Kurt Vonnegut and like oh, next, I think I I'll read Max Brooks. And I just have a huge shelf filled with all sorts of stuff. So yeah, it, any, anything. <laughs> Cat's Cradle is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, it's a great book. It's such a good book. Oh, my God. I do gravitate more towards the human monsters, the serial killers, the, um, and now I'm really getting more into, like, modern criminals or, like, um, stuff, you know, different types of criminals that aren't really covered in horror, like, um, actually, Christopher Triana, uh, he... I can't remember what it's called right now, but he wrote about albino traffickers. And sure enough, like I'm a big YouTube crime fan. And one of my favorite accounts, Lazy Masquerade, released like a video about albino traffickers. So I remember reading Triana's book thinking, oh my God, I hope this never happens. Sure enough, it fucking happens all the time in, in Africa and it's terrifying. So, but I guess overall what I'm, because my issue with, if I do have an issue with horror, I feel like it's the same redundant storylines over and over and over again, or the same themes over and over and over again. So I love something unique. Like we were talking about a uh, bug spray um, before this interview started. And um, I can't remember, uh, Lucy, what's the author's name? I forget already. Felix, Felix DeMero. Yeah. And it's a very, I, won't, I wouldn't necessarily call it a horror book in the traditional sense, but it's a very unsettling book. It's very psychological. It is extreme and graphic, but in ways you have not, you have not seen before. And I'm in love with that book. So anything that's unique and, um, and even like I've gotten into uh, crime, but in the sense of like the drug cartels, like I fell in love with Breaking Bad um Ozarks like those shows are really shows more of the like the rich people crime like money laundering and um you know people working with you know cartels in different countries and how all that really fuels into everyday life and we don't even know it because it's all so underground so have you read Don Winslow I just want to ask you about that Don Winslow 
No. You should. He's like okay. the he's one of the best crime writers out there right now. And he's like an expert on the drug cartels. I forget what they're called, but he has like at least like three, it's like a three series. They're huge. He's fantastic. He's one of my favorite writers, but check out, I think I, I forget what it's called. It might be called the cartel or something, but he's got a lot and he's like a authority on the cartels right now. I'm going to right now add him to my TBR before I forget. That's why the only reason why I'm taking out my phone because I have a big note thing with all of my, um, yeah, because I think I've been recommended him before, but I'll make sure to, Don Winslow, yeah, make I've sure to put him on here. to my list this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my, my TBR list is the... <laughs> I might get all of them like, finished. Oh, yeah, okay. Let me add that one. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Regina, what about you? What do you like to what do you like to read? Uh, I like to read all kinds of things. My favorite author is Gene Wolfe, who is not horror at all. Well, no, that's not true. He does have a horror novel called Peace, which is just an incredible book. It's really interesting. Um, you don't it's Neil Gaiman's favorite book and Neil Gaiman described it best when he talks about how like he didn't even realize peace was a horror novel until he was reading it for the second time and it's like it's very true it's like a very insidious story and I love it and uh, so the same author has a lot of sci-fi so I I love his sci-fi and Phil K. Dick also is a great influence of mine um, so I really read a lot of sci-fi. I read a lot of um, literary fiction. Um, I love the beats and transgressive fiction. Really, how I really got into horror is a love of transgressive fiction. Um, you know, I mean, that's like been very influential, that transgressive fiction to horror pipeline. You know, it's like A Clockwork Orange is a little bit of both. American Psycho is a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, so I I love that kind of stuff and I read a lot of nonfiction and you know man I, I read what's good and I read what I'm called to read at a given point because that's what will influence whatever I'm working on so I just do what my gut says yeah <laughs> Candace what do you tend to be drawn towards when you want to read what do you like all of it <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would say right now, as far as like my adult life, I suppose, I have been reading for the most part, mostly horror, supernatural, um, paranormal, demonic possession, haunted houses are huge with me. I love a haunted house. Um, anything that gets really like makes me afraid of something. I'm highly claustrophobic, (laughs) so I'll read a lot of books about being underground, being trapped in a cave, um, anything along those lines, because it just, I mean, it, it makes me very uncomfortable (laughs) for a lot of reasons. Stephen King is one of my. Have you read the Luminous Dead? No, it's oh, on my list. Oh it's my good god! <laughs> it's good. Yeah, oh, that's, I was going to ask that same question. Yeah, Nick Cutter's the Dean. Nick Cutter's the Dean made me feel very claustrophobic and panicky. <laughs> I 
I have read that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've read pretty much everything from the classics, the um, William Shakespeare, all of those, the Call of the Wild, you know, you name it, Uncle Tom's Cat Cabin. Read them all. When I was a kid, I pretty much spent most of my high school years in the library, <laughs> reorganizing the library. <laughs> um, but nowadays, it's it's a lot of just haunted houses and ghost stories and paranormal. And now um, there's a whole lot of extreme in splatterpunk, which I didn't even know was a thing for until about 2019 when I started to review a lot of stuff and now I have book requests coming out the ass and oh. I can't even keep up anymore and <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> but I love it so I mean I, I was that kid who would read um the cereal boxes I, I would read the encyclopedia when I was out of books I act we actually had the full 26 volume set of you know the Encyclopedia Britannica when I was a kid and I used to assign myself book reports on various <laughs> subjects <laughs> That's yeah I was a big nerd that's cute. but that's how much I read like I would read through everything I had everything my parents had everything I could get my hands on and then when I was done with that I would close my eyes and I pick out a book and then whatever page it dropped open to I would do a book report on the subject, the top subject on the page. So then I would sit and I would read about like one day it opened to the economy of Vietnam. And I was like, and? But I wrote this whole three page book report on the economy of Vietnam after I read the whole like entry and I did all this study and on, I could tell you their import, their export, their whole nine yards. Like that's how I read everything I could get my hands on. <laughs> like my kids laugh at me because I told them, I don't know how the subject came up, but we were talking about what my parents did to punish me when I was bad. Not that I was bad, but you know, the, my daughter laughed hysterically at me when I told her that they used to take my books away. Like I had a room full of toys, like Barbie toys, Barbie store. I had a stereo system. I had everything a kid could possibly want. I was not phased. I would not play with a toy to save my life. I really didn't know how. I didn't understand the whole make-believe, play with the Barbie doll, make a pretend shop and pretend mall. But a book, oh, I'd cry for days. They would come and take my books away. So then I took the hiding books under the far side of my mattress up against the corner of the wall so I could still read at night whenever I was in trouble. <laughs> she thought it was the most hilarious thing she ever heard in life because they would take my books away. I will absolutely pretty much read anything. So, You know, it's, it's yeah. funny. I've gone through phases throughout my life, but at this point, I would say I'm probably like 98% all horror all horror or true crime one yeah most definitely and I just don't feel drawn to much else and if I it is gonna be something else it still has to have that like horrific nature about it like as far as literary mm -hmm. fiction goes I can think of one that I have on my uh TBR shelf right now which is uh Yana Gahara's A Little Life 
Well, I chose that because I've heard it's like horrifying. <laughs> that it's devastating. It will break you. You will cry. You will be angry at the world. And I was like, I need it. <laughs> Isn't that the one that Christina talks about all the time? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know it's that like sounded familiar. 800 pages. Uh, and I haven't started it yet because I... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely keep up with what I do have. But that and um I love old Hollywood drama. Like the hot gossip from like the nineteen forties, fifties, Hollywood, nineteen thirties. I freaking love it. Tell me all about how crazy Betty Davis was. Please <laughs> let me read. Let me read about uh <laughs> Joe Crawford and how horrible she was to her children. Like, I'm like, give me all of that crap. I love it. I have a castle on sunset up on my TBR shelf, and I keep looking at it. And I'm like, I want to read you so bad, but I have so many other things I have to do. I love that trash. I love it. <laughs> what are you guys reading now? Uh, I am still trying to read the library at Mount Char. Oh, <laughs> also on my TBR. Steve, it's good. It's just Steve's I feel the great like enigma. <laughs> yeah, it's just well, I figured out who Steve is. <laughs> you know, if I was put into the middle of the story, it's not one that's kind to its reader, but it is well written, and I, I'm about halfway through with it, and I'm like, okay, I'm glad I stuck it out because. Um, I don't know. I just have such a short attention span and don't have a lot of free time. So if something doesn't capture me and I'm going to say maybe the first 12 pages, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to go. But I heard so much about this. So I was like, I'm going to keep going. And so I'm reading that and I read about three books at a time though. So I'm also reading Cunning Folk by, um, Adam Neville. Yes. (laughs) I'm reading that one and I'm rereading the Lord of the Rings because why not? Oh my god <laughs> that's like an every two-year journey isn't it oh i guess it's, i guess it's time to read lord of the rings again <laughs> what about you other guys what are you guys reading oh, i'm reading uh kurt vonnegut sirens of titan and i'm also reading harmed by dust in the valley i try to have like one indie book that i'm always reading and and then i'm reading um of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham because my mom, I've been reading all these books that my dad read in the 70s. And so I'm taking now a suggestion from one that my mom read, who, which actually brings me up to, I have to go because I have plans. I'm baking over FaceTime with my mom in seven. Okay. So well, thank you for being here, thank Lucy. You. You Hi, Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Yeah. Thank you so Bye, much Lucy. for having me. Yes. For more information on Lucy Leitner, please see our show notes. I'll have her full bibliography bio and all of her landing page links there for you. Have fun, Lucy. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great talking to you. Nice to meet you. Bye. 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 Stephanie, Regina, Candace, what are you guys reading? Well, I mean, I've been talking about bug spray. But I do want to piggyback on Gina because I'm the also the type of psychopath where I write like or I read like three at least three books at a time. Um, and the second book that I'm reading is um, a crime book. It's or a, a memoir. Um, it's Sex Cult Nun, and it's about uh, I think 
Faith Jones, yeah, Faith Jones is her name. She's a survivor of the Children of God cult. Yes, and I watched that documentary. I watched, I watched a very short documentary. It was, I think, the founding um, members, his son. I was watching a documentary on him. If it's the same guy I'm thinking of, he killed himself. Really, really sad. Um, But I already knew about the Children of God cult. And I was in the airport and I freaking love airport bookstores. I think I'm becoming a connoisseur of the Atlanta airport and the Chicago airport. I think are the best <laughs> bookstores. Um, anyway, so I'm just walking around the Atlanta uh, book airport bookstore and I strike up a conversation with a girl who worked there and whatever. Um, and I had the sex cult nun in my hand. She was like, oh my God, read it. It's amazing. And yeah, um, Faith Jones, I believe that's her name. She again does not um she does not hold back on the you know the terrible awful depravities that the cult did um if you're anybody interested and i'm not going to say exactly what went down but you can search online and figure it out or you can read the book but i just like i haven't finished it yet i haven't started it but yeah um it's and it's one of those things where I actually, one of my colleagues is a cult survivor and she says it's one of those things nobody understands nobody understands and um and that's kind of what faith jones was you know like she thought everybody on the outside world was the enemy and her little family was what was right in the world and it took her all these years to realize wait a minute and i I, i'm still like reading about her childhood not how she got out of the cold and survived in her life today but it's an amazing read so far yeah, that one's been in my TBR for a while, but I I, I definitely need to get a, oh, get my hands on that one. It's so Good. interesting. I got really into the whole like cult mindset and like uh, neuro what is it, neuro linguistic programming um, after watching the documentary series on Nexium on HBO. Mm-hmm which was fascinating. And then I watched the one on stars as well. Um, Cause I, I, I just was like fascinated by it. it it's just uh, amazing to me. And you could really, I could see how people were just sucked right into it. Cause even watching the documentary, mm-hmm. I was like, I totally understand, totally understand how people got sucked into this. It was, you'd think, oh, it would never happen to me, but, like, yeah, just amazing. Candace, Regina, what are you guys reading? Um, I'm actually working through The Rotting Within. <gasps> oh, that one's loaded um, in my Kindle. I haven't yeah. started it. Is it good? Taylor Morrison. Oh my oh, god. Yes. That's, that's on my TBR forever. <laughs> I've been too scared to Classic. read it. And for review, when I saw it, was phenomenal. Sitting on my shelf, girl. Yeah. I have that in my Kindle as well. I have heard. The writing that. is impeccable. Like All it's, right. I'm going to read it tonight. It, it, um, it, it, it reads like so much more than a horror story it's it's something i actually think it's something in like a league of its own it's in my opinion compared to a typical horror story extreme horror story just the way it's written it's 
superior to just a lot of the things that I have read recently. The, it's more like a, it's more prose than just writing. There's, there's just a rhythm and a flow to it. And it's, I'm only 35 pages in right now. And I honestly can't wait to read the rest of it. It's it's very hard to explain right now the way um, it makes you feel, but it's kind of like if you were to stumble across your favorite childhood read and sit down with it in like a warm light, maybe in front of a fireplace or a sunbeam, it's almost like reading something that makes you feel at home. Like you're talking to an old friend, but it it's transporting you solely into this whole other world. Like the writing is that good. It reminds you of childhood. It reminds you of home, but at the same time, it's putting you somewhere deeply disturbing. <laughs> it it yeah. has been blowing it's up on really the books of good. horror Facebook page, and because yeah, it is. keep talking about it, I have had it in yeah. my my list but uh based on that description i am absolutely going to start reading it after dinner tonight (laughs) everything else can just go on pause i mean no no disrespect any other horror writer out there i love them all i support them all it's just i think this one just the way it is written just puts it on a whole other level out there. It's more of a literary book than solely a horror story. I think it's it's not, it could be read by pretty much anybody in the mainstream out there, not just horror mainstream. And they could definitely take something away from it, not just the horror of it, I guess. Did so sounds like you would like change wolf piece just does jonathan and durham have any other books or is this his like first novel i am actually not sure because if that's his first one out that is gonna be it yeah it's it's gonna be a hard one to beat because everybody is just wild for this book and based on your explanation it makes sense as to why i'm just looking at it i'm oh yeah i'm gonna read it tonight i'm gonna read it tonight 275 pages but i yes this is his (laughs) one this is his new one his debut um yeah it's gonna be very hard for him to top this wow but you know i think that that's a good thing (laughs) if you're going to come out as a writer at all i think you have no choice but to come out as come out with with like you know with the bang that mic drop it's like i am here and just walk off stage and he definitely (laughs) this is his this is definitely his mic drop like I, he came out, dropped the book, and just walked off stage, and we're all still sitting here, like. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like. Uh, and we're done. 
Felix Blackwell did that as well with Stolen yeah. Songs. There was a reason yeah. that that book had so much hype online because it was legit the only book that has un like creeped me out <laughs> in a long yeah. time. I had nightmares. Thomas's Kill Creek came very close. There were some oh, really great supernatural scenes. If you you ladies love a wonderful haunted house story that's got multiple layers and is more complicated than on average scott thomas's kill creek is fantastic and it has some really good creepy creepy scenes that's but fun. um that was felix yes. blackwell's stolen tongues just went like whoa way above and beyond <laughs> like wow it's amazing and that was his first yeah. book <laughs> and he wrote that on reddit he wrote that in several parts on reddit on the no sleep yep. board and oh. then it turned into a novel and it's one of the best books i've ever read <laughs> regina excuse me what are you reading i am currently reading tender is the flesh by oh! agustina pastorica oh, damn. it's really on my TBR. good it oh. is so good. Oh. I'm, it is so atmospheric and so intense and just unrelenting. Um, I was actually just in a conversation with someone today about Battle Royale, and it reminds me of that in terms of like, it's just every page becomes so grueling. It's like you want to put it down, but you can't. It's just one of those books. I feel like some books just have a bad vibration. And this book has a real bad vibration, <laughs> but it's really good, you know. Um, so I'm really enjoying it and strongly recommend it. it uh, it's like a modern day, a modest proposal. If mm-hmm. Jonathan Swift's modest proposal had been accepted by society and they were like, hey, that's actually <laughs> a really good idea. Let's do that. Flesh <laughs> would be the, the overall outcome. And the socio-cultural and political commentary in that book, um, especially when it comes to the effects of capitalism on society and how we, uh, uh, oh, class wars. How we treat. How we treat each other from from, uh, class to class. Like, I think people tend to look at that book from a very black and white perspective. This is a horror book. This is a story about what happens if people eat people and we start using people as livestock. It is so much more than that. It is a greater look at our world and our society and just man's inhumanity to man. And the end, fuck my life. (laughs) <laughs> don't even tell me anything yet i don't want to hear anything about the oh end yet my God. i'm only halfway through so when no. you get to the ending message me because okay i will like, i'll let yeah. you know yeah i know i know i'm already yeah. upset <laughs> <laughs> jesus <It's great. laughs> yeah yeah i'm ready well my friends Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I want to give y'all an opportunity. If people would like to reach out to you, contact you, uh, what is the best way for them to do that? 
Do you have preferred methods of contact? Uh, well, for me, you can always check out the website, hrhdegenetrix.com. That's h-r-h-d-e-g-e-n-t-r-i-x.com. Uh, and uh, there it's just a little bit of my fiction. You can sign up for my mailing list. You can send me a message if you really want to, but you don't have to do that. All you have to do is leave me a nice Amazon review and that's yeah. very nice. <laughs> so <laughs> don't yes. feel obligated to reach out. Friends, if you're reading their books, please leave them Amazon reviews or review on Godless because it makes mm-hmm. a huge impact for our amazing authors. Candice, where would you like people to reach out to you or where shall they follow you if they would like uh, to? You can find me at uncomfortabletark.com. All of my links are out there. Um, my email address is out there as well. And you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, on TikTok, I'm under uncomfortabletark on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I am under my name, Candace Nola. That is me. It's not a pen name or anything else. So feel free to reach out, email me, drop me lines, send me money, send me coffee. <laughs> send all the coffee. All the coffee. <laughs> all the coffee. <laughs> Stephanie. Spiked coffee, even. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, where shall the people find you if they want to connect with you? I will. Well, my blog is infernalhorror.com and I write about my books and I also do book reviews. Um, I also write general blogs about like writing and horror in general. Um, as far as social media, my, well, I have a personal uh, Instagram where I also post my books and my metal stuff and also my horror author instagram is infernal underscore horror but my um, personal instagram right now it's sej infernal all one word i'm probably going to change it um so um i guess stephanie e jensen um with the e um the uh what do you call that uh, the middle initial because there is a stephanie jensen author out there and she writes children's books because dissecting house originally was published and my Dissecting House was originally published under my, just Stephanie Jensen. And then it's actually a reviewer who said, do not get her confused with the children's author. I'm like, wait, what? And I looked it up, children's author with my name. I'm like, yeah, it's not gonna mix us up. I don't know okay. what they're talking about because I'm totally reading Dissecting House to my kids every night before bed. <laughs> <laughs> If that's, they love if that's it. your jam, you know what? I'm not even going to say no. I'm just going to be like, you know what? Awesome. <laughs> Give your kids nightmares. I am, I, they will be bl- terrified of hot long girls forever. <laughs> Nobody will ever want to talk to a hot blonde ever again. Gina. I don't exist. Like be, she's like, no. <laughs> Don't send contact me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm on TikTok. I'm I don't listen, I don't post a lot. I haven't posted this year at all. Shame. Like, but I, I get on there. I'm bad at social media, but I do have a TikTok, Madam Munster, like like the Munsters. 
and I am working on making like a book Instagram. I have a private Instagram, but I'm kind of selective about who I add because like, you know, I put stuff about my kids and my life on there and, but I am working on that. I don't know when it's going to happen though, because I'm just bad at the whole social media thing, but I'm also on Facebook, Gina Arhus, Gianna Aris. Ah. And you're very, you're pretty active in the Books of Horror Facebook group too. So if yes, I am. That, they'll probably see you floating around. Yes, there. they'll see me comment. And um, I'm on Goodreads as well. I, I do post a lot on Goodreads. My um, my reviews of the things that. And I do recommend y'all follow her on TikTok, even if she's not posting very frequently. The content that she has is very high quality. I have picked up quite a few books because of Gina's recommendation so you can go through all of her videos that she's already gotten you will find plenty to work with there <laughs> absolutely I will attempt to do it more often like both of my children are in school now so maybe I will actually have time to do that things. definitely makes a huge difference doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> no way I know <laughs> For more information on these remarkable women, please refer to today's, to today's show notes or come join us on the Mothers of Mayhem official Facebook group. I think every single one of us who were in this conversation today are in that group. Um, and you can find the links to our various social media accounts in the show bio and by visiting my link tree on any of my TF Did I Just Read accounts. Um, as always, you can send your questions, comments, and insults and gatekeeping <laughs> to our email address, momextremepodcast at gmail.com. That's m.o.m.extremepodcast.gmail.com. Uh, do not forget to send dildos to Christina. This is very important. DM me if you need her mailing address. I will help you out. And I will never stop thanking singer-songwriter Amigo the Devil for allowing us to use his song Hungover in Jonestown as our theme song. Please go check out his music. You will not regret it, especially if you are a fan of extreme horror. He writes modern-day murder ballads. Like, it does not get any better, people. Thank you again, my friends. You have been amazing. Thank you for spending this time with me. I love you all. Thank you, Marion. We'll have to do this again soon. Thank you, Marion. Oh, thank for inviting you. Inviting all of us. Thank you very much. Thank you guys so much. All right. Bye. Until next time, raise some hell, children. <laughs> Make your weird book mommies proud. Bye. Bye. Oh, yay. Life is a joke, death is the punchline. Oh, la life is a joke, death is the punchline. Yeah.
Christopher Wein. Wein.